Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Here we go. Three, two, one. And welcome into this edition of the Three and D podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hogan, sitting in for Justin Lewis. Justin, the usual host of this. I'm usually the co-host. He's out on assignment tonight. But on short notice, joining me tonight is you know him from Locked On, Locked On Grizz. He is Sean Coleman. Sean, thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, what's going on, Ben? Uh, I don't. I wish there was more opportunity to be able to have us talk with each other because uh, you're a favorite of mine. But uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you, and uh, hope uh, hope uh, the holidays and fatherhood and all that's going good for, for you. I don't know necessarily about your uh, Raiders, right? Raiders, right? Yeah, 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 that's fine. They're not the Titans, but at least we have the Grizzlies to cheer for. So exactly, the Raiders. Uh, I still don't know what they are. I don't know if they're good or bad or what they are. But uh, you know, you got your uh, your Braves. You got you a, a, a title this year, so congratulations on that. And uh, what I want to talk about today, the reason I brought you on mainly is so we, we're just going to spend this whole podcast talking about the best basketball team in the state, and that's the Tennessee Volunteers. 100%. I, I just want to say, you know, it, it's funny, and I'm not going to sit here and slander the Tigers, but a narrative that I have no problem talking about is that the Tigers, for as much talent as they have, and I, I'm not a fan of seeing all this doubt about Penny Hardaway. I get why it's happening, and you certainly weren't encouraged by the comments after the lost Ole Miss. But with the, as much recruiting as they have and things like that, it's just funny that the one player right now, Ben, who really I think would help out a lot of issues is if they simply would have kept Kenny Chandler in Memphis. That's what yeah. stands out there, Kennedy Chandler in Memphis. That's what stands out to me. I, I just I, I feel that it's so funny to me that the one player that Memphis was okay letting walk is the one player who absolutely would solve a lot of their problems right now. And and, and I don't mean that as slander. I just I just it's so weird that this early in the season, that is such a clear miss on their part. Yeah, I was discussing that today about how, you know, they need a point guard. Well, you know, Tennessee has a pretty good point guard that was from Memphis, and he's, you know, I, I think the Tigers would be 
uh, better off right now. I think they they may not even they may still be undefeated. But if we're going to talk about that, we got to at least congratulate Justin and his Ole Miss Rebels for getting that victory over Memphis on Saturday night uh, or Saturday uh, in Oxford. Moving on, we're going to start with the Grizzlies. Uh, or we're going to start with the Grizzly talk now. Full disclosure: this is being recorded before the Grizzlies take on the Miami Heat Monday night. So any discussion that we have about a win streak or anything along those lines happened before the tip-off of the game against the Miami Heat. But let's talk about that four-game win streak. Grizzlies have won four straight. Granted, they're not necessarily against uh, the top tier of the NBA, but the Mavericks, I mean, that's the team that you are you think you're battling against for the division crown. I mean, I really don't see any of the other teams really threatening, even though, you know, San Antonio, Houston, they're on some win streaks right now. I really don't see either of those teams threatening to – take the division from either the Grizzlies or the Mavericks. Also set a record against OKC, beat Toronto and Sacramento. But the more impressive thing to me is they won all four of those games wire to wire. What are you seeing in these four games that's any different besides not John Morant not being on the floor, which I'm not saying it's the reason why they're winning. I'm just saying, what are you seeing as far as the product on court when it comes to the Grizzlies these last four games? Um, a more exciting version of what occurred last year. And what I mean by that is this, is that last year, you and I know that we've had, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter last year when the Grizzlies had these stretches. It was Jonas Valanciunas, it was Kyle Anderson, and it was Grayson Allen who were stepping up and really having, at that point, career years and helping out John Morant and the Grizzlies be able to put some of these winning stretches together. But that was going on because players that were either in their prime or close to their prime were having career years before the final years of their contract. This time around, you're seeing Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. step into their own. And the reason why it's so exciting is because with Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., that's not only our present, it's our future. So the thing that's so exciting about it being is that one of the byproducts is of, of us trading away a Jonas, of us trading away a Grayson Allen, of Kyle Anderson coming off the bench, is the team and the franchise was wanting to put everything there. They were told, wanting to take the, the training wheels off, however you want to say it. They were wanting to give every opportunity for these young players to step up and in bigger roles, really step up their games in the process, step into bigger roles with improved games. And then when Jaw ja Morant went out, Basically, the team was just faced with the situation. You've got no choice. If you want to win, you've got to play at your best. And they've answered the call. They grabbed that brass ring. And the big reason why we're doing it is because Jaron and Desmond Bain are playing at the most consistent levels we've seen them play in quite a while. You know, for Desmond Bain ever, for Jaron quite a while. And also the defense has improved as well. So the fact that without Jaw, these players are stepping up into more featured roles, but also improving their overall quality of play. It's a wonderful thing to see, especially when you know they're two big components of our future core. You talked about the defense. and This is just how bad the defense was prior to this four-game stretch. They were dead last in the league in defensive rating. In the last four games, they've been first as far as the team's last four games across the NBA with a 90.7 defensive rating. Second on that, is the Spurs at 97.7. Both teams have gone 4-0 during that stretch. The Grizzlies still sit fourth worst in the league in defensive rating at 111.5. What has been the biggest difference on the last four games defensive-wise? Is it just the, the teams they're playing, or does it, do you have to give a lot of credit to what the Grizzlies are doing? 
it's a mixture of both. Dylan Brooks being back and, you know, getting, getting past the early rust of his injury is certainly helping. But, you know, obviously, you know, you're without a um, – you're without um, – uh, Kyle Anderson, you're without Brandon Clark, so you're missing some components there, but it's a couple of things. It's it's the defense overall getting better. They're doing a better job of guarding the three-point line. The level of quality of opponents that they're playing certainly plays into that as well. They haven't been exactly playing the stalwarts of the NBA, but Jaron being the anchor, the perimeter doing a better job of getting out and defending, that certainly is helping. But another thing, and I talked with this on my, um, you know, lock on Grizzlies podcast with Matt Herdlicka, um, you know, for today's show. Another thing is that shot variance. You're seeing positive regression. Teams were likely not going to sit here and continue to shoot 41, 42% overall from three throughout the entire season. You've seen that now regress to about from about 41.5% to about 38.5%. Natural positive regression when teams just aren't hitting as many shots. That's all come together at the same time. Are we number one going forward? No, we're going to start playing better teams and it's, you know, probably going to even out. But are we showing that we're better than we were for the first quarter of the season? Yes. So it's a mixture of, you know, getting a bit luckier, which was always going to be the case, um, doing a better job guarding the three and, you know, Dylan and Jaron, I think really cementing, you know, their roles and working off each other to make sure both the perimeter and the paint are, you know, more effectively guarded. Yeah, you're talking about the threes on the defense, and I went and looked up these stats before before the podcast, and they're still the worst league defensive-wise when it comes to percentage of shooting corner threes. But as you mentioned, they're not as bad as they were on overall threes, as you said, about 38.5%. But the big thing also with the Grizzlies is teams are having to shoot out there because they're not allowing much in the paint. Six best in the NBA at 62% in the paint. Is that is that a credit to Jaron and Steven Adams or just Jaron or – just the Grizzlies just sticking with their man. I think it's better. I think it helps because we have Dylan. Like, I think that it's better that you're not seeing as much penetration from players. The Grizzlies are doing a better job rotating. They're doing a better job initially anticipating those drives instead of having to result. And, you know, they're doing a better job of initially anticipating the drives to cut it off. That way, you're not having to sit here and have the rest of the defense help out as much, which is leaving those above the break threes open, which was killing the Grizzlies going into that Atlanta game where Atlanta killed us once again. But then you're also, yes, you're seeing Jaron Jackson and others be able to guard the paint a bit more. So it's a combination of things once again. But I think, again, it goes back out to the perimeter defense. Not only are they doing a better job guarding the three, I think they're doing a better job of initially, you know, stalling those drives. And that's allowing for the Grizzlies to do a better job of keeping things in front of them. And the more activity that they can keep in front of them, the harder it is for the defense to be able to have balance and what they're trying to do. Today marks about 10 days since uh, John Morant first went down with an injury uh, against Atlanta. As we've talked about, the Grizzlies are 4-0 uh, since that. And we saw, you know, some good news, some positivity uh, last week. He was out shooting around in, uh, during practice uh, before the game. He was also shooting around pregame, shooting around postgame. It's nice to see that. How excited are you to add – John Morant to what this team is doing right now. I'm excited to see. I definitely am excited to see it. And I think that it's probably going to be towards the middle of December. I don't think, you know, I want the Grizzlies to be as cautious as possible. I I do think that there is more, needs to be more of an emphasis. And we know how much the Grizzlies, they don't put timetable on things and also, 
so how much of an emphasis they put on making sure folks are healthy. But I do feel that the Grizzlies, they're probably going to be a bit more cautious with this. But knowing John Moran, I think it'll be another 10 days or so. I look at December 15th, maybe the 20th, that he'll be back. I certainly think he'll be back before we play the uh, the uh, Suns and the uh, Warriors, you know, twice within five days of each other. So I do think, or, you know, we played the Suns and the Warriors and two games in five days. I think that he'll be back probably within the next 10 to 14 days, but it's not only the fact that I'm excited about getting him back, you know, when he is, you know, ready to return with how well we're playing. I really am interested to see now that the Grizzlies know that jaw or I mean that Jaron and Bain are, are thriving without him. How can they make sure to keep the enough balance there to continue to feature Jaron and Bain enough with jaw back to allow for all three of them to really cook off each other, to really be alternate options, where if one team focuses on Jaw, get the ball out, you know, to a Bane, like we saw in the first or last few games before Jaw went out. That's the thing that I'm excited wanting to see. It's not only Jaw getting back to play with how well this team is, but how can Jaron and Bane continue to produce at the level that they are with Jaw back? And if we can figure that out, that's when we really start to look like a team that can sustain a pretty good level of success. I know it's kind of an outlier and it was an historic night, but I think the OKC win kind of showed a little bit of that because Desmond Bain only had two points in that game and they still won by an NBA record. I think it's 73 points. So I think that kind of got a little, little view of what other people can do step up when one guy's struggling. Uh, but let's talk about Desmond and Jaron. I hate to say it this way, but who's, which one of those guys has benefited the most, uh, because of Jaw's absence? I would probably say it's been Jaron. Because, I mean, you know, Desmond Bain, he consistently was able to work off Jaw. Desmond Bain was able to benefit with the attention that Jaw got because Desmond Bain is a very good, you know, spot-up movement-type shooter, very good at reading where the defenses are to find the soft spot. And he he's someone that, you know, he can – produce well his the quality of his shot from three it's going to allow for him to be able to either be in a supportive role as a spot-up guy or if he needs to step up and be in a featured role he can I think that Jaron has benefited more because with him getting the ball more it's easier for him to get in the rhythm I wrote a piece over at Grizzly Bear Blues or excuse me I didn't write a piece I, I tweeted out the other day actually where I talked about with Jaron as he has put more emphasis on taking more shots in general, but also getting inside more to take more twos, he's established a base for him where he still can remain relevant as a scorer, even if the threes aren't falling. And I think that a way that he is able to do that is with the ball in his hands more with jaw out, he's able to establish that base more frequently, getting that rhythm earlier in the game, which can really help out his ability to stay on the court and stay productive. So I do think that with the higher usage and more opportunity to really establish a rhythm, it's benefited Jaron a bit more. Yeah. And I, I, a little, some things that I've noticed with Jaron is he's not as afraid for contact as it seemed like he was. I mean, still on the defensive end, he's more, he's a little bit better on the, the weak side blocks. He's coming over to help, but he's also like initiating the contact on the offensive end. He'll take the ball at the top of the key and he's not selling for the three or the jump shot. He's going straight in and seeing if he can get to the bucket, at least get fouled or get, get as close as he can before putting it up. Whereas the beginning of the season, I don't know if it's just like maybe PTSD or maybe he was a little worried about, you know, re-injuring himself, but it feels like he's going in and initiating the contact a little bit more. 
Absolutely. And, and that was always going to be the thing that I, that I don't think people, you know, understand enough about Jaron coming into the season is that it was going to take him time, right? You know, he still is what 40 total games, um, you know, into his career from being out from missing 65 or, or excuse me, 60 total games or something like that, you know, regardless of the number. He still very much is in the early stages of getting into the groove, getting back to not only trusting himself, but also improving. And I think that's what it comes down to. I, th- I don't necessarily think I, I probably did play a part of it. I don't think you're wrong with saying PTSD, you know, from what occurred. But I also think it's just the natural change, the natural trust that you're going to have with the young player with as big as he is because he got bigger while he was out from the injury I think it took a little bit of time for him really to kind of test the limits of what he can do as his body has continued to mature and now he's figuring out listen I'm usually the biggest guy on the court and against other big guys I'm the more athletic guy so I can sit here and do things with my body that they can't while still having the physical stature to make stuff happen. That's why you're seeing him be able to not only get inside, trust his body more to find good shots, but also make them as well. You see it in increased free throw attempts. You obviously see it in the significant improvement in twos. So definitely I agree with you. It just became more, you know, just took a bit of time for him to trust his body and we're starting to see the benefits pay off. Now let's switch back to Desmond Bain and also talk about a guy that uh, usually doesn't get a lot of high praise on this podcast. And that is one Dylan Brooks, with the emergence of, Des- emergence of Desmond Bain, is Dylan Brooks now, I guess, fourth in the pecking order for the Grizzlies once Ja returns? When it, I guess as far as the offensive end is concerned. You would think so, but I would anticipate that it's probably going to be in terms of shot attempts. I think it's probably going to be Desmond Bain who probably becomes fourth, and you're fine with that because Desmond can do more with those shots. And Dylan, you know, he's going he's going to take his shots. Um, you would want Dylan Brooks to be fourth in that pecking order because, you know, just with Jobby and who he is, Jobby and on the inside, and then the inside-outside combination of Desmond and, and Jaron, you're probably going to get more effectiveness having those as your one, two, and three than you would Dylan being somewhere in that top three. But every now and then, you're going to need Dylan to step up. So, yes, theoretically, you would love for Dylan to be the fourth guy in that pecking order, but realistically, he probably is going to be second or third a lot of nights. And there are going to be times where I it's going to be good, where you're going to need that. You're going to need the self-creation and the confidence of Dylan. But the key for Dylan is this, uh, Ben, is that if he is in the mindset where he sees that he needs to step up and start taking shots, but the shots aren't falling, it's the ability for Dylan to realize that and then turn into a playmaker or a play extender or whatever it may be. Instead of taking shots that he knows he can get off, but that may not be the best shot, it's realizing, okay, in this situation, I don't have my best stuff tonight. My best stuff is making the offense continue to go as good as it can, being able to make the right reads on offense so that the, as much as possible, the Grizzlies are finding the best overall shot they can time in and time out. Is it okay to say right now that Dylan's struggling a little bit? I mean, last game against Dallas, uh, five fouls, three turnovers against OKC, three fouls, four turnovers, 11 points in both games. Shot well against OKC, 40% from the field against Dallas. I mean, Justin sent me a bunch of stats that say Dylan is not not good. Career worst, uh, minus 2.6 defensive uh, box plus minus. Career best, Vort, which is still negative. Uh, he gave me all these things. I, I have to bring him up because, you know, he's the normal host on this. 
But is it safe to say that right now Dylan Brooks is somewhat struggling, at least on offense? Yeah, no, it's it's fair. And, and you know, Dylan is going to go through these stretches. There are going to be stretches where Dylan is going to be absolutely outstanding on offense, like he was at the end of last year and in the playoffs. And there are also going to be times, Ben, where he's going to struggle, where you would prefer for him not to take 15 shots because he's not taking them right. He's not finding the right shot. So overall, suggesting that Dylan Brooks is struggling on offense right now, that's perfectly acceptable. And it's okay with that being the case, when you have Jaron and when you have a Desmond Bain playing like they are. But tonight, for instance, against the Miami Heat, who are going to, to demand that teams take significantly smart shots, that they have significantly good shot selection, these are the nights right here where you can't have Dylan Brooks, you know, intentionally try to get his shot ups on a consistent basis. Yes, he's struggling, but a big step forward for Dylan Brooks is on a night like tonight. If he knows his shot is not being able to fall and he gets early indications that it's not falling tonight, can he then become someone who extends plays and makes plays for others to find the best shot consistently? So, yeah, I would definitely agree. He's certainly he's, – he's fallen off a bit, um, even though the Grizzlies are playing extremely well. So let's go ahead and start talking about the week ahead, and let's begin with tonight, and then we'll get into the rest of the games. Oh, 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 we're, we're, we're not done, though. And okay. I don't mean to be disrespectful by inter- no, you're, interrupting. No, you're fine. Because, because no, no, we're, we're not done, though, because, you know, I agree that Justin, you know, has a right to sit here and, and slander Dylan Brooks. But we also need to look at the overall impact of Dylan Brooks. Obviously, Dylan Brooks has struggled recently when it comes to his offense. But when you look at the on-off numbers of Dylan Brooks, which in my opinion certainly still matters, you're looking at a guy who right now, the Grizzlies are 17 and a half points better than their opponents with Dylan Brooks on than when him off. And I know that that's been a lot of games where they've played opponents who are at the Grizzlies level or less, but also Grizzlies opponents are scoring 14.8 points less than the Grizzlies with Dylan on versus him off. And he is in the 97th percentile in terms of opponents effective field goal percentage. So if you want the missing piece that was going to allow for the Grizzlies defense to be more consistent by overall commanding the defense like Dylan does to do a better job of contesting shots, making shots more difficult, making shots harder to find on a consistent basis for the defenses, that's where Dylan is standing out. So I just had to throw that little nugget in there. Forgive me. No, no, you're fine. And I, I agree. I've, I've had this discussion with Justin many a times. He, he doesn't like that I usually sit on the fence with Dylan. I just feel like there's so many people on both sides of it. There's there's room for someone to sit in the middle on it. I'll take his good games. I'll take his bad games. As long as the Grizzlies are winning, I really don't care that much. I mean, you can you can pick at a player. You can pick at any player. Say they had a bad game here, and you can mark it down and, you know, bring it up anytime they're bad when they're good, you know, another game. It is what it is. And I know yeah. Dylan Brooks kind of brings it on himself a little bit because of how outspoken he is on the court. And some people just don't like that, you know. There's been times in which, you know, I'm like, Dylan's going to get himself teed up here. I do think he can be a little over-aggressive when he doesn't get a foul call, and I think he gets in his own head. Like, you know, he, he turns the ball over and then makes a dumb foul. For me, there's too many of those, but I also understand that it's kind of a mind game he's playing with the other person on the other end to where he's trying to frustrate them as well. At the end of the day, that's just what Dylan is. He's got enough confidence in himself to where his aggressive, energetic style, Dylan knows that the good is going to come with the bad. He doesn't, and I'm not, I'm not saying he intentionally is out here trying to, you know, make plays that take 
away from, you know, the Grizzlies' ability to play good or anything like that. It's just something that he's accepted about himself. He knows that the good is going to come with the bad. and There's going to be a lot of that, especially on offense. But he also knows that the best version of himself is playing with that level of confidence whether it may you know seem you know it may turn people off or not that's who Dylan is happiest with on the court in terms of the best version of himself because a lot of times it's going to lead to good results and obviously the overall impact that he's making when he's on the court with versus when he's off shows that so I agree with you I, I I've trended more I was right there with Justin uh, about 15 months ago I've trended more towards Dylan Brooks certainly being a very important cog of this team and again it may not always look pretty but the overall results certainly do show that dylan brooks not only is making the impact and it doesn't necessarily have to be through the box score each and every night but he also is stepping up when it's needed most as you've seen in the playoffs and at times this year so far are you uh buying property on dylan brooks island you buying a timeshare you getting a rental what what's what's your uh where's your where are you sitting right now on dylan brooks island I've got a sailboat sipping, uh, sipping myself on a, um, a pina colada. I'm just sailing around Dylan Brooks Island, just seeing all the people who were coming up building shelters on it and all those same people going and preventing people like Justin from coming to burn it down. So I'm just an observer sailing around the island, enjoying my pina colada all day long, and I'll speak up when I need to. Fair enough. I'm a frequent visitor, but not uh, not buying property quite yet. Uh, okay, now let's move on to uh, this week ahead. Uh, the Miami Heat tonight's game. Uh, this is probably going to be listened to. This is going to be listened to after the game. So first, let's talk a little bit about tonight's game. Give a prediction so we can see if we're smart or not uh, tomorrow. Uh, but the Miami Heat tonight. I mean, that's uh, that's a that's you know that's a tough team in the East. They're a, they're a title contender. What what do you think the Grizzlies need to do to keep this uh, win streak rolling? At the end of the day, the Grizzlies are going to have to not play like they did Saturday night. That certainly um, is starting out. We're looking at they had 22 turnovers um, where they shot less than 35 percent from three. Um, they they shot less from uh, they they shot less than uh, um, 60 percent from the free throw line. That's the big key that stands out about this. Basically, when it comes to the Grizzlies, the thing that they're going to have to do is they're not going to have to they're going to have to not play like they did Saturday night. 22 turnovers, shot less than 35% from three, shot less than 60% from the free throw line. That's a big, big key tonight against the Heat. The Heat allow one of the highest rates to opponents when it comes to shooting free throws. And you're going to have to take advantage of that with how well the, not only the Heat are as arguably a top five offense, but how good the Heat have been, or five defense, but with how better the Heat have been shooting the three. The Grizzlies are going to have to consistently find high percentage shots, and it's going to be tough. The Heat are number one in the league when it comes to defending two-point shots, and they also are top 12 in the league when it comes to defending three-point shots. So they do give up quite a bit of three-point looks. The Grizzlies are going to have to hit threes, and they're also going to have to hit free throws. That's where it starts on the offensive end. On the defensive end, the Grizzlies are going to have to pick and choose their poison. Last game against the Heat where they throttled us 129-23, to 23, you had Jimmy Butler with 27 points and 10 made free throws in the first half, and then overall the Heat had 21 threes. You're not going to beat anybody allowing that. But the Grizzlies, with Jimmy Butler back, they're going to have to decide, are you going to let Jimmy Butler be the one to cook, or are you going to let the Heat's three-point shots be the one to you know do well? The Heat are 12th in the league now, 
and three-point shooting. A big reason why they have a top three reserve unit when it comes to hitting threes per game and also when it comes to accuracy. So it's not just Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. It's Gabe Vincent, Max Struss, and others. I know that they're going to be without Bam Adebayo. They were the last game as well. But on offense, it's finding the right shots, and it's hitting the open shots, whether it's from three or whether it's at the free throw line, but also the Grizzlies, they're going to have to pick or choose their poison. Are you going to let Jimmy cook or are you going to let the uh, Heat be able to to hit shots from outside? I would rather let Jimmy and get all the two-pointers he wants and then defend the three for for a full 48 because it's not just the Heat starters you're going to have to concern yourself with. It's really also going to have to be the Grizzlies being able to make sure they're not outgunned when the bench minutes happen with how good the Heat reserves are shooting the three. So did the Grizz make it five in a row? I, I'm going to say no. I, I think that it ends tonight. Uh, I, I try to be realistic. I don't like to be negative when I'm realistic. Um, I think that the Heat are a bit inspired with Jimmy Butler being back. I know the Heat have kind of treaded water with him out. But especially with Bam back, I think that Jimmy Butler's going to be motivated tonight, um, I, especially at home. I think the Heat are going to fire away the win. I don't think the Grizzlies are going to get blown out. If they make it five in a row, I'm going to be extremely excited. But I think the Heat are going to find enough three-point shooting success and get enough stops to pull out the win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Miami's just too good um, yeah. for, for the Grizzlies uh, to make it five in a row. Looking ahead, the Grizzlies have, I guess we're going to go ahead and go through next Monday. Uh, they got the Mavs on Wednesday, the Lakers Thursday, a little back-to-back. Then they got the Rockets Saturday, and then Philly a week from today. I mean, the Rockets, I hate, uh, they're, they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. Yeah. Over the next – Two over the next five games, my focus is getting two wins. I don't, I would love for another one to be against Dallas. That would be spectacular. But if the Grizzlies can sit here and get two wins with one being against Dallas, and if you want to make it against Houston, that's fine as well. If the Grizzlies sit here, they get two wins and one's against Dallas, you're not going to hear any complaints from me because at the end of the day, we've beat Dallas twice. We've also been able to escape through this portion of a very tough December schedule, still being two games of 500. I'll take that all day long. Do I think we can win three? Sure. Will it be a great benefit for us to be able to get a great start tonight? Sure. But starting tonight over the next five games, if the Grizzlies can win at least two games and one of those be against Dallas, I'll be perfectly happy. Yeah, I also think it depends on what we've seen over the last few games. It's like who's in and who's out. I mean, Luca, yeah. is he going to miss? I doubt he misses. But who knows? I mean, he, he could miss another game. I doubt he misses because he missed uh, Saturday. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. And LeBron, you honestly, you never know with him. It just it well, kind of feels that way. Yeah, and, and it also will help for us to get our own guys back, like Brandon and Kyle. Because, you know, listen, as well as Jaron and, and Bain have, have played, the other thing to think about, though, is that if the Grizzlies, you know, if they're not playing like they did against OKC or Sacramento, and for some reason Desmond or um, Jaron do not have outstanding games like they did against Toronto and against um, Dallas, if either Jaron or Desmond are not playing well or the Grizzlies, the rest of the team's not playing well, at some point in time, you're going to have one of those nights. It's going to be harder to overcome that against the quality opponents the Grizzlies are going to be facing over the next five games than it has been over their past four. So that's another thing to see as well. Eventually, at some point, these defenses are smart enough to where they're going to make things harder 
on Jaron and Desmond to really be able to carry the Grizzlies offense at times. And without Kyle, without Brandon, especially without Jaw, that's going to make it tougher on the Grizzlies, you know, the rest of the, you know, core. And at some point you just get down the line too far to where it's going to be hard to expect for the Grizzlies to be able to continue winning, especially if Jaron and Desmond fall off at some point. Yep. All right, Sean, I've kept you long enough. I appreciate you coming on with me and chopping it up for me with me for about 30 minutes or so. Uh, can you let all the listeners know where they can find your stuff? I know you're you're pretty much everywhere, all over Twitter and the internet, and just let people know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, so um, obviously you can find my written stuff over at Grizzly Bear Blues. You can find me, myself, at StatsSAC, the show um, at Locked on Grizz. I do a show every single day, um, have guests on. We'll you know, do a lot of times, you know, my solo shows, you know, and, and every single day, off days, game days, you'll hear from me. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff on Twitter in terms of, you know, stats and perspectives and all that. So just follow me at StatsSAC on Twitter, the show at Locked on Grizz. And, you know, Ben, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I, I don't know if I filled Justin's shoes or not. I don't think I did, but y'all got a great thing going here. So uh, excited to, uh, to be back on in the future if that's going to, if y'all will allow me to. Oh yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate everything you do. You always you always deliver anytime, like whether it's on here or on your podcast or your guest on another podcast. Enjoy listening to you because you always bring the facts and you always have stuff to back it up, which I appreciate myself. I, I thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks for having me, Ben. No problem. That'll do it for this week's edition of 3 and D Podcast, part of the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Next week, Justin should be returning on the show. Till next week. Thanks.